How is everybody? Um, I don't know if, if Corey mentioned it. I, I wasn't in the room at the time. I don't know how many people came to the, uh, the fall festival thing we had going on the other night. Uh, and I don't know if you're a parent, you probably know this. This is the first year because I never buy the candy that we give out on Halloween. I'm just, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I just get there and my wife's already got it, right? And so I didn't realize how much candy costs. And I bought $45 worth of candy for the fall festival being like, that's almost 50 bucks worth of candy. We'll be good. And so I learned one, 50 bucks worth of candy doesn't go very far. Uh, it was like 15 minutes at the fall festival. We had our trunk, which was the most lame trunk. But anyways, uh, we had glow-in-the-dark webs. You know, that's all we could come up with. So, um, but anyways, so we were giving out candy. I bought 45, 50 bucks worth of candy. 15 minutes, it's gone, right? And um, Patrick comes by and he's like, hey, man, you need anything? And I'm like, I need candy. And so he went and got me a bunch of candy and brought it to me. And 15 minutes later, I'm like out again. And Savut comes by and he's like, what do you need? And I'm like, I need some candy. And he hooked me up with some more candy. And Jessica came by, hey, you need anything? Candy. And, um, and so I had to be restocked three times, right? Uh, and so the second thing I learned, not only is candy expensive, I'm not very good at rationing candy. <laughs> Because every time like an extra cute kid would come up, which I kind of think like they're all cute, I'm just like, here you go. And I'm kind of a sucker for little girls, so some little princess would walk up and I'm just like, you know, like, you know, dumping it in. And, and then I started noticing that the same kids would cycle through me <laughs> several times. <laughs> so then I'm like, I should do this at church. If I want to really grow the church, I just start giving out like, you know, Snickers bars. By the way, someone here was giving out whole Snickers bars. I don't know who that is, but like, God bless you, like you're an amazing person. <laughs> I kept looking in people's bags, I'm like, man, who is doing this? Um, so I had to give them six pieces of candy to match up to the one Snickers bar that you just gave them. So, so Patrick sent me a text and he said, man, thank you so much for you know, being a part of that. And I was like, man, I had a blast. And then he said, but seriously, we need to talk about your rationing next year. <laughs> it cost our church a fortune. So anyways, thank you guys for being at that. We had no idea, there was a, <sighs> ton of people, ton of people from the neighborhood. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I had a, a really good time sitting there and just getting to talk to people, and it was a blast. Uh, if you've never been here before, um, I'm an emotional wreck today, so forgive me today. Um, if you weren't here last week, we're in the Gospel of John. I'm really loving this. I usually do about a chapter a week. I am totally blowing that with the Gospel of John. I've been breaking them up into, into parts, and we broke up chapter one and chapter three into two parts. We're going to break up chapter four into two parts. Now, a little spoiler alert here. This is one of my favorite conversations in the entire Bible. Uh, I say that a lot. I always say this is my favorite stories that people are like, he always says that, but I really like chapter four of John. The reason why I like it so much is we get to see it's a conversation between Jesus Christ and a social outcast woman, a woman who would have been labeled, pardon the expression, but would have been labeled a whore by society. And they have this conversation at a well, the woman at the well. And it's a fascinating depiction of Jesus and his character and how loving he is and how kind he is and how direct he is. And it's this wonderful conversation. So that's what we're going to get to talk about today. If you weren't here last week, the second half of chapter three, we've been kind of building on the fundamentals, right? Like basic stuff. And we talked last week about why one would consider even following Jesus. Why would you consider being a Christian? And we kind of talked about that last week a little bit. We talked about light and darkness and life and death and heaven and hell and these different things. And this week, we're going to kind of build on that a little bit. When we have an interaction with God, when God is face-to-face -face with us, right, how do we respond to Jesus? And then if we've responded to Jesus, we're going to ask ourselves the question, how do we reach out like Jesus? How do we act like Jesus? How do we communicate with people that are different from us the way Jesus would do that? How do we do that? These are fundamental questions, but they're, they're pretty big, important questions. So we're going to dig into that a little bit today, Okay. I want to tell you guys, I'm really glad you're here. I love this church so much. I hope I tell you enough. Like, I don't know if you receive words of affirmation, if that's your love language, but I'm getting better about just like, I love you. I just tell people all the time I love them. And um, I do. And I feel so honored that I get to be here teaching the word to you. And, and um, I'm just, I'm very humbled by you guys. And I love you guys a lot. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you just, just, adore this story today. It's so wonderful. It's such a great part of the Bible. And uh, I hope it just digs into you and hope it speaks to you. And I hope the Lord just challenges you and pushes you in a nice, you know, firm, but you know, in a good direction. And um, we'll see what God does. Okay. Let me pray. 
Lord Jesus, I love you so much, God. I can't tell you thank you enough for the relationships I get to have with the people in this room and the people I've met over the years, God. And you've sent just the coolest, most eclectic, weird group of people, God. And I love it, Lord. I love it. I love it. I love that I get to do what I do, God. It's hard sometimes, but I love it. I feel honored. Lord, I pray that this lesson today speaks to people, God, not because of me, but because your word is just gorgeous. And, and seeing your character and seeing your nature, God, I just pray, Lord, that it just penetrates our heart today and just wrecks us. God, I pray that you bless every church in town, Lord. Um, God, especially World Outreach right now, having their, their, their big festival today. God, protect all those people and keep them safe, Lord, and bless that church for what they do for the community, God. And Bless New Vision and bless North Boulevard and bless all the churches that are smaller than us, God. As long as, as, long as they proclaim that you're the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, God, we're with them. And we want, we want blessings for them. And we want them to grow, God. And we want your name to become famous through all these churches. Lord, we love you and we lift you up, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, you should have got a notes handout. It has, uh, I think, everything I'm going to say on it for the most part. Um, if you have a Bible... Gospel of John is the fourth book of the New Testament. We're in the fourth chapter. We're going to do up to about verse 26. So we'll do a little bit more than half of chapter 4. And uh, if you don't have the notes or a Bible, if you get the version app, it's free. Click on the bottom right corner. Our church will pop up and all the notes and all that jazz are on there because we're fancy like that. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit <laughs> and then I'll do my best to break it down. Guys, I love this story. I hope I'm not building it up too much. It's a wonderful story. Here we go. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well it was about six o'clock in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In other words, we don't talk, right? Okay, so a little background. So the Pharisees, if you have not been here, and this doesn't mean all Pharisees are bad, but for the most part, the Pharisees and the Gospels are kind of the antagonists. They're kind of the bad guys, right? And so as Christians, we kind of look at the Pharisees and we don't want to go down that road. What the Pharisees were doing is the Pharisees were the ones in power and they were seeing that their power was being shifted first to John the Baptist, who they think had baptized somewhere in the neighborhood of over 100,000 people. That's a lot of people. They baptized these people and was amassing these huge followings. When Jesus comes onto the scene, not only was Jesus amassing bigger followings than John, a lot of those followers of John were shifting over to Jesus. And the Pharisees were stepping back saying, oh, wait a second, we might lose our tradition. We might lose our control. We might lose our power. Okay, so like we are to look at the Pharisees and not do what they did, modern-day churches, modern-day Christianity needs to make sure that our main goal is letting the gospel be spread, not our churches, not our traditions, not what we want, right? Not pushing a famous pastor or church. We're pushing Jesus. That's what needs to be famous, okay? Not us, Jesus. It's not our control. It's his. It's not our tradition. It's his way. We need to make that very, very clear. So what Jesus does is this. Jesus doesn't want, oh, he doesn't want to waste his time arguing with religious people. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But Jesus doesn't want to waste his time arguing with people. So he's going to cut up north and he's going to go to an area called Galilee. Now to get to Galilee, you have to go through Samaria. And most people would avoid Samaria. They would go around Samaria through an area, uh, uh, an area called Jericho, which is made famous by a, a terrible TV show. But they would go around Samaria <laughs> through Jericho, and they would go up to Galilee that way. Now, Jesus didn't do that. He cut through Samaria because the Bible says he had to. What does it mean he had to? He was following what the Holy Spirit wanted him to do. He was being obedient to the Father, and he had to go this way. So normally, like I said, 
People would get around Samaria when they go north because the Samaritans and the Jews don't like each other. In fact, the Jews kind of hated the Samaritans. They looked at them as very like inferior to them. And so the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. So people just wouldn't communicate with each other. Now, here's the thing. Jesus chose to go through Samaria for a big reason, and it's one that I hope, one of the big takeaways from today, I hope is this slide. The reason why he went up through Samaria is Jesus is going to set up a situation that's going to show us how to healthily address conflict resolution, how to come in contact with someone that not only disagrees with us, but probably hates us. How do we deal with that? Now, here's the thing. Though it's not always possible for every conflict to be resolved, it's not always possible. There's been conflicts where I've wanted to resolve it and maybe the other person did not, so we don't, we don't reach resolution, but it's up to me to at least try. Now, when I try to resolve conflict, I don't do it over email. I don't do it over Facebook. I don't do it over text. I don't even do it over phone. Face-to-face is how we resolve conflict. It is not the adult Christian way to resolve any kind of conflict over texting. That's childish, that's fearful, it's cowardly. We do not resolve conflicts that way. In fact, Jesus goes into great detail about how we resolve conflict. What we do is when we have conflict, if we've been offended by someone, if someone has offended us, we are to go to that person and we are to directly have conversation with them. We are to have love, grace, patience, empathy from where they're coming from, right? That's what we're to do. Jesus said in Matthew, if you and I have an issue, right? I come to you first and I say, I have been offended. Please help me understand. I want to be honest with you. I want you to be honest with me. Let's resolve this. Let's talk about this. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's talk about this. Now, if that doesn't work, Jesus said, go get another brother or sister of Christ. And now two on one, right? We come at you and say, hey, this person's going to mediate our conversation. That doesn't work either. Jesus said, go back and get another one. So now three on one. Okay, there's a three of us, there's you, we're gonna talk about this. We're not gonna gossip, we're not gonna complain and amass an army to come attack you. We're gonna resolve this, right? And then if that doesn't work, then the church gets involved. So if you call me and say, hey, me and this person hate each other, I need you to get involved. I'm gonna say, did you go first? Did you bring someone else? Did you bring another person? And then I will jump in and I will help you if we need help. But this is the way Jesus tells us to resolve conflict. And it's, it's bothersome how many of us do not do the biblical form of conflict resolution. So another thing that we see in the Gospels that is really neat is we see little nuggets of Jesus' humanity. Now, we know Jesus is God, right? He's fully God and he's fully man. And it's neat to see the humanity. By the time that Jesus got to this well, it was six o'clock at night. He'd been traveling all day. He was tired. And it says, worn out from his journey, he plops down by this well and he needs some water. Okay, some people argue about the time. This is, this is kind of a neat little thing about the Bible. Some people argue about the time. Well, did the author use the Roman uh, way of telling time or did he use the Jewish time, all these things? Was it noon? Was it the hottest time of the day? Or was it six o'clock at night, kind of the end of the day? When was it? And people argue about this, right? Which is pointless. The point is this, whether it was noon or whether it was six o'clock at night, the woman who came to the well chose a time where very few, if any people would be there. At noon, it would be too hot. People wouldn't go there. It's six o'clock, people would already be settling in for the evening and they wouldn't go there. Obviously, this woman didn't want to be around people. She didn't want anyone to know. Everyone knew her business. Everyone kind of knew her lifestyle. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. She didn't want to see anyone. So who does she end up seeing? Uh, God, right? So um, funny thing, she goes out and she has this interaction with Jesus. Now, one of the things that they talk about, Jesus says, hey, can you get me some water? And she's like, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're a man, I'm a woman. We don't talk. This fracture between these two groups was 800 years old when these two were having this conversation. They had been at odds. You know, like that one like sibling or you know, cousin that you don't get along with? We haven't talked in two years. 800 years, these people had not talked to each other. This is quite a division. And so these two meet. Now, the reason the Jews didn't like the Samaritans The Samaritans did not honor the entire Bible. They only honored the Torah, not the Tanakh, the the whole complete Old Testament. They were seen as arrogant. They were seen as rebellious. They rejected all the Jewish tradition. They just, so the Jews didn't like them. They didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like them so much that if you touched a Samaritan, 
you couldn't worship in the temple. You were ceremonially unclean. Even if you touched something that was owned by a Samaritan, you couldn't worship in the temple. You were unclean. So you're like, you're at your buddy's house, right? And you're drinking a cup of coffee. And he's like, oh, my Samaritan friend gave me that. And you're like, you know, and throw the cup. Um, that's what it was like. That's how the Jews thought of the Samaritans. They didn't, they didn't like them very much. And so Jesus came. And one of the beautiful things about our faith, one of the beautiful things about Jesus is he broke all of the cultural norms, all of them. Jesus even came and he said, you guys have heard, love your enemy, but hate your neighbor. Jesus said, no, we're going to pray for those that persecute us. We're going to bless those that hate us. We're going to love those that hate us. So Jesus goes and engages the enemy, right? That broke all cultural boundaries. He talked to a person that was racially inferior, geographically inferior. This would have been someone that they would have looked down upon. And he was also going to talk to a woman. They just didn't do that in public. Women were seen as inferior. You know what's interesting about the Bible? There's a lot of attacks on Christianity that Christianity is sexist or misogynistic, which is they have people who say that have not read the Bible. They have not read the Bible. The Bible was so progressive on its view on women. So Jesus himself was so progressive on his view on women. And we see it over and over and over again in the Gospels. And so Christianity breaks all the norms of culture. And the way it does that is by love and by grace. That's how it breaks all the different things of culture. Now, what we've done in Christian culture, though, is we've kind of gotten it backwards. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be judgmental. But many of you who are raised in church, many of you who've gone to church for a long time, we always tell people, don't hang out with non-believers, right? Don't hang, don't hang out with people of other religions. Now, listen, I know boundaries. We shouldn't go to every place where people go, but we've gotten it backwards. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I told you not to associate with people who are sexually immoral. So we read that and we say, okay, I need to stay away from all people who are not believers who don't agree with me. Paul says, no, no, no. I didn't mean the immoral people of this world, the greedy people of this world, the swindlers of this world, the idol worshipers of this world. If you didn't have any contact with people different from you, Paul says, you'd have to like disappear because all around you are people that disagree with you and you're supposed to engage in the lives of these people who are different from you. If you don't, how will they ever see the, lightness, the, the light in you? How will they ever know Jesus Christ inside of you? Paul goes on to say this. I'm actually writing to tell you, listen, don't associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian but lives like they're not. That's what, that's what Paul says. These are the people we need to stay away from as hypocrites. We need to stay away from people who claim righteousness, who claim that they're connected with Jesus, but they live in a way that doesn't reflect that, that we're to put some distance between us. And we've gotten it backwards. So the world can't be judged for knowledge that they don't have. It is our responsibility to bring them that knowledge. Okay, next part. So Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well to drink from. He drank from it himself. So did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him becomes a well of water springing up from within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have said correctly, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not your husband, so what you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, Yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. She's changing the subject there at the end. She kind of got exposed and she's like, uh, oh, I see you're a religious person. Where well, we worship over here and your people tell us that we have to worship over there. So what Jesus is doing is this. He's basically saying to her, if you knew what I was offering you, if you understood the depth of our conversation, you would take me up on this. The only time in the gospel that the Holy Spirit is referred to as living water is right here. And what it shows is this. 
We know we have to drink this to stay alive physically, right? Everyone, I hope everyone knows this, right? You have to drink this to stay alive. What Jesus is essentially saying and why he's alluding to living water is, we know we have to have this to stay physically alive. We also need to know that we have to have the Holy Spirit to stay eternally alive. So we know it's important to drink this, but our mindset has to change. Our relationship with Jesus is as vital as it is as drinking this water to stay alive. It's extremely important. And that's why that allusion to water is made. Now, I like this woman. She's very sharp. She's very intelligent and she's a touch sarcastic, right? So I kind of like her. And so as Jesus, uh, as she's being lightly sarcastic, uh, she basically says, you're going to offer me water. Like, dude, you don't even have a bucket to get water. And so she's a little sarcastic with him and she shows her intelligence though. She knows the history of the well. She knows the history of the patriarchs, Joseph and Jacob, and she knows all this. She's very intelligent in her approach and very well-spoken, but she's missing the main point. She knows these things, but she's missing the main point. And she reminds us of another conversation that Jesus had just in the last chapter with a guy named Nicodemus. Now, the woman at the well and Nicodemus were polar opposites. Man, woman, rich, poor, very uh, respected, very much not respected. They were polar opposites. But if you look at these two, they essentially had the same problems. They had a false sense of spiritual security. They were both materialistic. I don't mean that how we think of materialism. They could only think of the physical. They weren't thinking of the spiritual. They were spiritually empty. And they were both confused with how simple Jesus is. They just couldn't get past how simple Jesus is. So you and I, guys, if you're around people enough, and if you hear people's problems enough, rich, poor, white, black, man, woman, whatever the case may be, if you get down to us, get down to it, we're not so different. Most of us deal with the same insecurities. Most of us deal with the same fears. Most of us have the same kinds of hurts and hangups and issues with ourselves. If you get down to it, we're not so different. Things like depression and insecurity and fear and confusion, those are equal opportunists, right? doesn't matter your skin color, your age, or your gender. It happens to all of us, so we're not so different. And what this woman was trying to do, just like what Nicodemus was trying to do, is she was trying to find nourishment from her work, what she could do. She was there laboring to get water so she could be physically taken care of, but she neglected her soul. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your body. There's nothing wrong with eating well. There's nothing wrong with working hard. The Bible actually mandates these things. Take care of your temple. Take care of yourself. Make sure you work hard. Make sure you have a reputation of hard work. Those things are good. But when it comes to true rest, when it comes to true contentment, true fulfillment, true joy, only Jesus can give us that. Nothing we can do, nothing we can earn, nothing we can work towards. It has to be the Holy Spirit filling us up that gives us that kind of contentment and joy. And so the bottom line is this, and man, so many of you are in this room right now because you understand this, that pursuing the physical can never satisfy the spiritual. We know this. Many of you in this room have done it. You've tried the sex, the drugs, the money, the success. You've tried all that, and you find out that it made you stay lacking and wanting. We know that those things don't work. What happens is if we don't pursue the spiritual, the physical is going to find us looking for joy and contentment in very destructive manners, very unhealthy manners. So we have to pursue the spiritual to become completely content, to become spiritually satisfied. I love what Jeremiah says. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, and guys, this is all of us. All of us have done this. God says, my people have made two bad decisions, two evils. They've abandoned me, the source of living water, and they've created their own containers to find joy and contentment. They've, they've, they've created their own cisterns. That was a container for water. They've created their own cisterns and they're broken. They're cracked. And so what God says is, you forget that I'm the source of joy, and you tried to create your own vessels of joy, but they're not working. They're broken. They're messed up. They don't hold what you want it to hold. That's what we've all done on some level. And so this woman in verse 15, Jesus is presenting all this to her, and she says something that sounds a little snarky, right? I think that's a real word. So it says something that sounds very, very sarcastic. And some people say, well, is she just confused or is she kind of being a jerk? Or what is she saying when she says, give me the water? I don't, I don't want to be thirsty anymore. 
Here's what I think. This is what I think after doing study. I think this woman genuinely wanted something different, but she didn't know how to get there. Boy, we've all, we've all been there too, haven't we? She wanted to change. She was sick of the way her life was going, but she didn't know what to do. She didn't know. She was confused. She didn't really know what this man was offering. What are you offering me? This living water. She wanted it, but she didn't even know what it was really. And this is what Jesus does, guys. This is, man, this is so important. In order for this woman to change, in order for this woman's life to go a different direction, Jesus has to call out her current lifestyle. Has to call it out. Jesus puts the small talk aside. He's kind of earned her trust. They've kind of built this relationship. He puts the small talk aside. He puts the metaphors aside. And he says, go get your husband. Because he knew. He knew what her lifestyle looked like. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five. And you've divorced all five. And now you're with a sixth man who's not your husband. And that's not okay. And so they had this. And he exposes in her this darkness. The darkness wasn't just that she had been with multiple men. The darkness is that she pursued her contentment in these men. She'd pursued the answer in people and what she could get from it. So if you remember, we've been talking a lot about light, light and darkness. And what the light does is it exposes the darkness in us, reveals the thing in us that needs to be fixed. So her response is pivotal. So he says, go get your husband. She didn't step back and say, only God can judge me, right? Kanye said that. He must be right. College dropout. Anyways, <laughs> she doesn't get offended. She doesn't step back and say, how dare you? She doesn't say that. She goes, you're right. She admitted to it. She admitted to the fault. She acknowledged the truth about herself. She admitted that she was broken. And listen, Jesus doesn't push her down. He doesn't make fun of her. He doesn't call her names. He doesn't condemn her. What we see is that he illuminates the problem. He illuminates the dryness in her so he can give her water. He illuminates the darkness so he can bring light. He illuminates the problem so he can fix it and work on it. Jesus knows our faults. We need to know our faults. We need to admit that we have a problem because until we admit that we have a problem, we have no eligibility for eternal life. We don't have it. Until I admit that I need to drink this, I will be thirsty and I will die. And if we don't do it spiritually, we eternally die. So of course she's a little embarrassed, right? I don't think any of us have had our sins exposed to God and not felt a little embarrassed or a little bit ashamed. But what she does is she, she acknowledges that she's wrong and she switches gears, right? She says, oh, you must be a prophet. Speaking of religion, I heard you Jews have to worship in the temple. Well, we worship right here where we want to worship. And she addresses kind of the main difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. They argued about where you have to worship. But what we're going to see is that's a dumb argument. It's not where you worship. It's how you worship, okay? This is the last part. This part is amazing, okay? Here we go. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. He's basically saying the Savior is coming from the Jewish people. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him in spirit, in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Jesus looks at her and He says this, I am he, the one speaking to you. I'm going to get back to that. That's epic. Now, when Jesus came, Jesus came to change the entire process. If you go back into the Old Testament, the temple, or when they were traveling, the tabernacle, essentially the same thing until they set up, you know, kind of a, a, a permanent shop in, in Jerusalem. The tabernacle and the temple were all symbolic. Everything that was done, all the rituals that were done, were symbolism of what was going on spiritually, okay? So when Jesus came, he took away the symbolism and it was now literal. 
All the things that you did symbolically is about to happen literally through Jesus Christ on earth. So he replaced the tabernacle, replaced the temple, and he became the perfect symbolism or the, the literal act of what that symbolized. And when he died on the cross, Jesus, the temple broke in half, the curtain ripped from top to bottom, the Holy Spirit was kind of unleashed on humanity, and now it's not a building that holds the presence of God, it is you and I. Where the people of God are, that's where the presence of God also is. And so as this woman is sitting there, imagine this. He looks at her and he says, all the things you're longing for, the time when we're going to get intimate with God, when we have a greater intimacy than just going to a temple, he said, that's happening right now. That's starting to happen right now. So it's not a matter of location. It's a matter of personal relationship. If revelation is true, which I believe it is, this is not going to always be how we worship. We're not going to have the luxury. We're so blessed right now. We're not going to have the luxury of coming together like this. You're not going to be able to be dependent on a sanctuary like this or maybe even a pastor like me. You're not going to be able to depend on it. It's going to have to be you and your relationship with the Lord. It's going to have to be you leading your family. Moms, it's going to have to be you talking to your kids and dads. It's going to have to be you leading your families. We're going to have to step up and have a personal relationship and personal accountability with the Lord. And the way we do that, the way we have a relationship with the Lord, is we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is how we worship the Lord. Now, because I'm a simple man, the way I simply put this is, we worship Him with our heart and we worship Him with our mind, with our head, right? Spirit and truth. In our faith, in our heart, in our attitude, in our pursuing the gifts of the Spirit, pursuing the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, in our emotions, that's the spiritual side of it. We balance that out, though, with the truth, with honesty, with study of the Word of God, with being grounded biblically in all that we do, being grounded and centered on Christ. But what we've done, instead of pursuing Him in spirit and truth, what man has done is we've created religious institutions. And what religion is, is this. Religion is man's attempt to reach up to God, which does not work, and God's attempt to reach down to man is the gospel by sending Jesus. So we're reaching up through our acts and our works and our institutions, and that's not how we worship him. We worship him through how he showed us in the gospel, spirit and truth. He sent his son to us because our religion was not fixing the problem. And so there must be a shift, guys. And most of you come to this church because you've already made this shift. That's why you come here. So I'm preaching to the choir, but there must be a shift on how we think. True believers, gosh, let me say this again. True believers must stop arguing about the ridiculous things that are different about the sights and sounds of worship. It's too fast, it's too slow, it's too light, it's too dark, it's too cold, it's too hot. It's shoes, it's no shoes, it's all these different things. And we argue about these things and we're so caught up on these stupid details. And guys, God is not interested in Baptist, Methodist, Calvinist, Arminian, Pentecostal, non-denominational, Catholic, etc. Not that those things are evil and bad. Man, I appreciate what the Catholics have done for social justice, for helping the poor and for orphanages. I love what the Baptists have done for missionary work around the world. I love what the Calvinists have done with their studious thought and the Arminians have done with their grace and what non-denominational have done with including all walks of life and what the Pentecostals have done with their pursuit of the Holy Spirit. I appreciate those things. Those things are important. But what God is looking for is not a title that we've made up. He's looking for people that worship him in spirit and truth. That's what he's looking for. He is interested in those that will worship him in spirit and truth. So this woman's listening to all this, right? Man, she just went to go get a drink of water. And she's sitting at this well and she's listening to it. And she exposes the fact that she does have faith. She's made mistakes. She's down and out. But she believes. She believes. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming. I know that one day, one day we're going to get the answers we need. And we're just like her, aren't we? aren't we? We've made mistakes. We're looking for clarity. We're looking for hope. We're looking for some kind of peace. Here's the problem with us though, guys, and this is all of us at one point or another. We're so bogged down with the mistakes we've made. We're so bogged down with our past and what's been done to us, for us, or what we've done to people or whatever the case may be. We're bogged down with the past or we have become so distracted. We're so busy 
everyone is busy. I used to just think it was me. People say, man, I bet you're busy. I'm like, everyone's busy. We're all just busy. Let me give you a word of advice. You need to pick one day a week. I just can't do it. You need to do this. One day a week where you put your phone on airplane mode and ignore the heck out of it. I do it on Fridays. Man, unless you are bleeding out your eyes, I'm inaccessible on Fridays. It's my only day off all week. And here's the thing. If I don't set that time aside, A, I'm going to go crazy. B, my kids are going to resent me and my wife is going to leave me. If I don't set those things aside, if I don't put everything on hold and rest, do you know what the punishment was if you didn't take a rest day in the Old Testament? They killed you. And the point of that was this. God said, you're going to rest. Even he took a day of rest. He worked hard for six days and then he rested. That's what we are called to do. We've got to put those things aside because here's what happens. If we stay so focused on what we've done in the past and the mistakes we've made, and if we just continue to be busy and distracted, we're going to miss what's right in front of us. We're going to miss the important things staring us right in the face. We're going to miss salvation. We're going to miss eternity. We're going to miss our creator looking at us deep in the eyes saying, you need a change. We're going to miss that because we're distracted and because we're feeling guilty. So this woman who was labeled as a whore, this woman who just wanted to go out and get a drink of water when no one else was at the well, encounters a man who knows she's broken. He sees her lack of hope. Maybe she's struggled with depression and fear. She has her mistakes and her regrets. She wants to change. She wants to, but she doesn't know how. In, in one of the most epic sentences in the entire Bible, Jesus looks at her and says, it's me. She says, one day I know God's going to come. I know he's going to fix it. And he says, you're talking to him. You're talking to him. Imagine looking into the eyes of the one that created everything. Having all these hurts and hangups and this baggage in this unbelievable compassion and love. And he essentially says, I've been sent from heaven for you. Not just for humanity, for you, for you personally. So how do we respond to that, right? Not just for salvation, you know, like if you're a non-believer in here and you're like, I'm interested in this, what do I do? Not just for you, but for those of us in here all the time are coming up with these crossroads in our lives where we have to respond to what Jesus wants us to do. We've made mistakes. We're busy. We're distracted. What do we do when Jesus intersects us? How do we respond to that? The first thing is simple. You have to want to change. People come to me all the time and they say, hey, you know, I know you struggled with addiction. I've got a brother that struggles with addiction. Or I've got a, you know, a sister. Or I've got a daughter or whatever. Can you help them? I said, well, do they want to change? Well, I don't, I don't think they're there yet. I can't do anything. Nothing I can do. You have to want to change. Any of you who've ever stopped smoking, right? That is hard. I smoked two packs a day for a long time. It's hard. And I tried to quit. I tried everything they could. You know, how do you do these? I tried the gum. I tried the patch. I tried eating gobstoppers till my teeth hurt. I did everything I could. How do you stop? The problem was I didn't want to stop. I said I did. I was doing it for other people. But until I wanted to stop smoking, I couldn't stop smoking. I had to want to change. So not only do we have to want to change our life, we have to be willing to repent. Do you know what that means? It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. Repentance means that we change our course. Our direction changes. In fact, the British Army, I don't know if they still do this, they used to yell, repent, which means you're going this way, you about face and turn a different direction. So repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry, I want to go a different direction. I want to go a different direction. I'm ready to make a change. I'm ready to take steps. We also have to be honest with ourselves, guys. This whole Christianity thing, this whole transformation thing, this whole eventually getting to heaven and being with Christ thing is a journey. Paul said it's like a marathon. You ever ran a marathon? I haven't. <laughs> Josh ran one and he's like, man, around mile 20, you start like seeing stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
Look at me, right? It's a, it's a, it's a journey. This life that we're on, and you're going to stumble sometimes. You're going to mess up. You're going to have to need people to get behind you and pick you up and start pushing you closer to the, to, to the finish line. You need people around you. It's a journey. You have to dig, and we're constantly growing, and we're changing, and we're adapting, and we're getting closer and closer to being made in the image of Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. Just like a baby is not formed overnight. It's a process. It's a journey. That's kind of the beauty of it, though. And we have to move beyond the small things, the methods, right? Well, that pastor hurt my feelings, or I just didn't like the atmosphere. Go back and study the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea was in the fourth century. And Emperor Constantine, who was a, a newly converted Christian, right? He was a new Christian, brought together all the heads of Christianity into one room, and they once and for all kind of established what is the Christian faith, right? Council of Nicaea, they brought them together. If you go back and study history, they say that these men would come all around Europe, from all over Europe, to be at this council with the emperor. Men would walk in with their arms that had been ripped off from the lions of the Colosseum, that they would have missing eyes. There's actually a story about Constantine kissing the, the eye socket of a pastor, a Christian pastor, whose eye had been ripped out from a lion from the Colosseum. These men walked in, and they had put everything on the line as 50,000 people chanted for them to be killed in the Colosseum. They put everything on the line, and by the grace of God, they survived, and they formed this council to establish what is the Christian faith. Now, imagine if you teleported those people into our day and age where people are like, I just don't like that artwork on the wall. I don't like this room. There's not a big enough steeple on this place. They would step back and say, what in the world? What is wrong? The Christian faith has gone from where we would be buried in the Colosseum to our chin so we could be devoured by wild animals. It's come from that to where we argue that if our pastor offends us one time, we split. That's what it's gotten to. They would be, they would be appalled by what Christianity has become. They'd be appalled by it. We need to get beyond the minors. We need to put on our big boy, big girl panties, right? We need to get past just the methods and the differences, and we need to run at Christ in truth and spirit. Pursue Him in truth and spirit. Now, many of you have done this. You've reacted. You've responded to Jesus. So once we've responded to Jesus, we are then called to reach out like Jesus. Now, here's the real hard part, right? We don't always love humanity. Sometimes people ask, how are you doing? I freak out Starbucks baristas all the time. They're just like, Corey, how's work? And I'm like, sometimes you love humanity. Sometimes you just want to like nuke them all. You know what I mean? Like, that's <laughs> why my finger's not on the button, right? That's why I'm not in politics. So uh, I'm too unstable. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to always love people, but we do. And so how do we reach out? The first thing is this, is we build relationships, guys. I'm not talking about going around the mall and handing out chick tracks, right? I'm not talking about just going out and like flyering. I'm talking about we get into people. Like we get to know who our barista's name is. We get to know who our waiter's name is. We get to know who that person is at Walmart that we see all the time. We say hi to people. We start building relationships. We get to know our hairstylist or who does our nails or whatever the case may be, right? We get to know these people. Not out of obligation, not out of conquest, not so we can dominate the culture. We do it because we love people. And listen, if you don't love people, you need to pray that God makes you love people. That's his will. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, love God, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And they didn't ask for this, but he said, and the second one is similar to that. Love other people like you love yourself. It's very important. If you were to wrap up this entire book, it's in two statements, love God and love people. Love God and love people. And if we don't love people, we're not loving God the way we should. Jesus even said, how can you love a, a Savior that you haven't seen when you can't love your brothers and sisters that you can see? How can you do that? We are to build relationships. And building relationships, guys, is ugly sometimes. And when we build those relationships, listen, when we build those relationships, when we trust each other, when you create community with people, then you can lovingly address sin. I'm going to give you guys permission to do something with me. I'm going to give you permission to judge me. 
judge me. Here's why. If you love me, if you love me, if you love me and you know that I'm cheating on my wife and you don't call me out on that, you don't love me as much as you say you do. If you love me and I'm doing something that's going to destroy my relationship with my kids, you better come tell me. And listen, I love you too. And I'm going to tell you too. People leave the church sometimes. Corey, I'm sick of you constantly telling me how wrong I am. If you were driving off a cliff and if I didn't try to grab that steering wheel and yank you in a different direction, I don't love you. I love you so much. And I hope I do it in a loving way. I hope I do. I know I'm not perfect. But guys, if you see me destroying myself, if you see me destroying relationships lovingly, don't condemn me. Don't push me down. Don't send me an email or a text. Come to me and say, Corey, I love you, man, and I love you so much. Are you, are you sure this is the right way to go? Are you sure that you're doing the right thing? And I will receive that, and I will accept that. We are to lovingly address sin. Well, Corey, I love them too much to hurt their feelings. Then you don't love them as much as you think you do. If we love each other, we call it out. Guys, is everyone going to receive that? No. Do we need to step on the street corners like idiots at MTSU this last week and cuss at people, right? Yell at them and tell them that they're going to hell? No, that's not it either. Build relationships first. And once you build those relationships, once that trust is there, we can hold each other accountable. We don't have to condemn. We offer freedom from condemnation. And we don't aim to convert. The Bible never tells us to convert. The Bible never tells us to read a sinner's prayer. I know that always offends people when I say that. Jesus never intended for us to walk up to someone and be like, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I do. Let's send that number to headquarters, right? (laughs) By the way, our headquarters is Lori's office, so send it to headquarters. That's not what Jesus told us to do. Jesus said, come follow me. Let's get dirty together. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take blood and sweat and tears and crying and laughing and communicating and breaking bread together. Jesus said, go deep with people. This is a journey. This is a relationship. He didn't say go convert. He said, go disciple, go baptize, go teach. A brilliant young woman that comes to this church came up to me last night and she said, Corey, she's doing a discipleship group. Like I'm about to start a discipleship group. And I'm so proud so many people are stepping up and doing that. She said, Corey, you're discipling 10 people, right? And I was like, yep. She says, I did the numbers. If those 10 that you're going to start discipling go out and disciple four, and then those go out and disciple four, and then those go out and disciple four, she said, in five years, you have made over 3,000 disciples. That's just if we pour into 10. If we pour into 10, and those 10 pour into four, and it keeps going and going, each one of you can make 3,000 disciples in five years. That's astronomical growth for the kingdom. It's not converting, it's discipling. Now, let me tell you the importance of engaging people. Let me tell you the importance of reaching out like Jesus reaches out. There's a young woman that comes to this church, young. She just graduated high school, she's in college. Great girl. I was telling this story last night and she came up afterwards, she's very, very upset and, and talking to me. She was getting her makeup done and, um, and her eyelashes done and there was this, uh, uh, I guess they call him beautician or whatever, there was, this woman was doing this stuff, right? And um, they got to talking because I, I think all people who do like hair and makeup are like excellent counselors, right? <laughs> and they got to talking, but this girl was getting her makeup and her, her eyelashes done and she starts talking to this woman who's 29 years old and they start to talk and, and, and finds out that this woman struggles with addiction and she's kind of had a you know, rough go at things and made a lot of mistakes. And so this girl who comes to our church says, hey, you should, you should come to our church sometime. Just come by. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a cool church and everyone's real accepting and, and we have a program called CR that you can get plugged into that helps people with addiction. And she's like, okay. So she came, right? She came and she felt the Holy Spirit in this place. 
and just really rocked her and, you know, like, like she started just really feeling the Holy Spirit just work on her and she got plugged into CR and she started finding community over there and people were digging into her and pouring into her and she was open about her sin and they were openly calling her out, but they were walking together and loving, creating this wonderful relationship. She didn't just go to CR here. She also went to CR at New Vision Baptist and had all this good support around her and she would tell her mom about it and her mom started coming to church here. She was already a Christian, but she's like, oh my gosh, my daughter's her whole life has flipped around and now I want to go see what, you know, what's going on. And so she started coming to church and her life just completely changed. And the other night, um, I got a call from her mom and while she was on her way to work, this 29 year old with her seven year old daughter was not on her way to work. She's on the way to take her daughter to school. Uh, there was a wreck in front of her on I-24 and she swerved to miss it, went off on the road, and hit her head, and she's on life support. So when I left here from the fall festival at 8.30, I went down to Vanderbilt to the 10th floor. You never want to go to the 10th floor of Vanderbilt. It's an awful place. So I went to the uh, critical care tower, shot up to the 10th floor, and... Um, they gave me kind of like some special permission. I went back to the room and it was just me and this young 29-year-old. <sighs> mom came in. I had my arm around the mom who I'd actually never met before, but she's kind of, you know, she's like, I feel like I know you and had my arm around her and we're just talking and talking about what was going on with her daughter. And I said, you know, we're going to pray, but what's the state of this? And they said, well, they're going to pull the plug. They actually did this morning and she died. But I asked, uh, I asked her mom, I said, uh, I said, how are you holding up? And she said, I'll tell you what. She goes, I prayed for so long for my daughter that someone would reach out to her. And someone from your church reached out to her. And she was addicted and she was separated from God and she came to the church and the church wrapped their arms around her and she got off the drugs and she got cleaned up and she had a good relationship with the Lord. And then the Lord took her. The reason I yell at you guys and scream at you guys and is because if we don't respond to Christ, and if we don't go out and reach out like Christ, there are people whose souls are in the balance. There are people whose lives will be eternally lost if we don't reach out. And so a high school girl, a high school girl, a girl who hadn't even graduated yet, reached out and said, there is something better than what you're doing now. And she poured into someone older than her, connected the dots, and this 29-year-old came and God rocked her and changed her and saved her and then took her. How many people around us, if we don't reach out, if we don't extend love, and grace, and at the same time, if we don't point it out, hey, you gotta change. You gotta change. Let me help you. Let me walk with you. I sat there and held her mom, and she said, Corey, I'm sad. But she goes, it doesn't sting. <laughs> because to live is Christ and to die is gain, and when we believe in him, death has no sting. She will see her daughter again and she will be with her daughter for eternity because someone reached out. Because someone took the time to put some blood, sweat, and tears into their neighbor. So you wonder why I scream at you. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your barista. Talk to your hairstylist. Not so we can grow the experience. Guys, I don't give a rip about that anymore. Because people are hurting. People are dying. Not just physically dying. I 
Would you bow your heads with me, please? God's grace is so deep. It's remarkably deep. It's like an ocean. We haven't even seen the depths of it yet. About a year ago, I went to the same hospital on the same floor, and I sat with another mom whose son had accidentally shot himself in the head. And I had my arm around that woman, and Patrick went with me. I remember this. And I leaned down next to this kid, and I said, hey, if you can hear me right now, if there's anything on your heart that you need to repent for, if there's anything on your heart that you need to ask God to forgive you for, do that right now, just, with, just in your mind. And I remember the nurses had this, this meter thing on the side of his bed, and it registered the blood flow that went through his head. And when he was stimulated, that number would shoot up. But when his brain wasn't functioning properly, it would dip way down. And so right after, I told this kid, whatever's on your heart, make sure, respond to Jesus. That meter, you can ask Patrick, that meter shot up to like triple digit numbers. This kid was responding. Responding. And then right after we got done praying, I said, amen. And the number dropped down to single digit numbers. And it was about an hour later that kid passed away. God's grace is so deep. God's love for us is so deep. But the world doesn't know that yet. But you do. Guys, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, what good is the salt? You are the light of the world. You are meant to walk into the darkest places and to bring illumination to bring Christ. That's what we're called to do. And this life is like a vapor. It comes out and then it dissipates and it's gone. And Jesus said, you're not even promised tomorrow. So focus on today. Focus on the conversations you have today. Focus on your family today. Reach out. Love. Embrace. Forgive. Father, God, I love you. God, I love you. Jesus, God, for everyone in this room, Lord, for everyone in this room, God, we've all got hurts. We've all got baggage. We've all got pasts and mistakes and busyness. Father, Lord, let us cut through that. Let us respond to you, Jesus. God, if there's anyone in this room that's not a believer, Lord, let them have the courage, God, to just ask, Lord, if you're real, and Lord, show yourself to them. Let them feel you, God. Lord, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, who they've received you, God, but they haven't reached out, God, Lord, let them hug their children tonight. Lord, let them forgive their spouse, Lord. Let them forgive that family member that hurt them. God, Lord, let them reach out and love people that are different from them and even mean or hateful, God. Put a love for us, for people. God, because even the most despicable person was made in your image. Even the most hateful person was made in your image.
you're in here and you've repented of your sins, there's communion all around us. The Bible says that Jesus died even when we were sinners. He died for us. None of us have earned grace, but God has so freely poured it out on us. And some people don't know that yet. You're welcome to take communion. There's people up here on my right and left. If you need prayer, my God, I beg all of you, please get over yourselves. If you need help, let them pray for you. Let them pray for you. If you need to pray for someone else in this room, if you have hard feelings against someone in this room, take the high road, forgive them, move past it, reconcile, forgive. Reach out and love your city. Love people, embrace them, hug them, pour into them, care for them because you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I pray blessings over you. I pray peace and grace over you. I pray that your light shines so bright that you take it out and it just illuminates everything around you. Father, insulate us with your Holy Spirit and send us out, God. We love you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much.